Welcome to the next episode of the Introduction to ST3 Podcasts. This is a added extra that we've put in for this year because I've noticed that on a few of the podcasts that we've already recorded, we've very briefly touched on debriefing. So I thought it might be beneficial for us to actually have a small episode on really just the basics of debriefing. And today I am joined by Liz Midwinter, who is one of our advanced care practitioners who teaches on the college debriefing course has quite a lot of experience in both simulation related debrief but also in critical incident debriefing and by Golf Oliver who is one of our ST4 proceeding to be ST5 trainees who wanted to know a little bit more about debriefing. So I'm interested in human factors but I definitely haven't been on a debriefing course so in terms of theory and actually what you're doing I don't think I really know much. Uh, my vision of uh, what debriefing involves is everybody sat in a circle or around each other and talking about what's just happened. But I guess as these guys are going into ST3 and you know I've had to learn to do over the past year or two, you're having to facilitate the team debriefing after um, some potentially uh, fairly upsetting and traumatic uh, situations that happen in the emergency department. Obviously we can't go through a course, but in terms of a framework for how they should approach this situation if they are to end up leading a debriefing situation, what would be your advice about how they should give a, a framework? So before we look at how we would do a debrief, I think maybe we should have a look at when and why we would do a debrief and in what situation. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. If we start with when, so a rough idea about when, it varies depending which departments you work in. So some departments are quite used to doing hot debriefs and other departments aren't. And if you work in a department where the culture is to do a hot debrief, you'll probably do it more frequently than you would do otherwise. As a starting point, I would say after any pre-alerted cardiac arrests, after any unexpected deaths within your departments, after complex research and trauma cases, those are your times when you should really be thinking about doing a debrief. And then in addition to that, any cases that the members of the team who have been involved seem either upset or distressed by what's happened, or if a member of the team asks for a debrief, then that's another really good reason to do one. What's the, what's the point of doing a debrief? So firstly, it's to do a welfare check on all your staff, check that everyone's okay, check that if, are they happy to go back onto the rest of their shift, are they well enough, do they need to go home? Um, is there anything we can do to support them? Even in some cases, do we need to speak to people like occupational health or our psychology team? Um, or, at the, or at the other end of the spectrum, do we just need to let them go and have a cup of tea yeah. and sit down for five minutes? Yeah, absolutely. And we also need to look at if there's any immediate, sort of, if something's gone wrong, if something's missing, is there any immediate safety concerns that we need to pick up? Do we immediately need to look at how we work in our department because something isn't working? Um, I think, I think they're main things so making sure your staff are okay and making sure there's nothing we need to change immediately after so that's um that's really interesting i've always found that after a big event people's stress levels are high there's often a come down so dealing with a problem that might have occurred often that isn't the most constructive time to do it have you got any advice on how to approach what should be dealt with then and there as opposed to flagging it mentally and coming back to it at a later point yes so it needs doing in both ways essentially is, is the main thing to think about. So what you're looking for here is anything that is going to cause an immediate patient safety concern. So we're not after things that are going to give us marginal gains on improving performance. What we're looking at is an essential piece of kit was missing from this resource bay during that particular case. 
if the same case came in straight away now, we would need to have that here. So let's go and find it and let's go and put it in the room that it should be in. So we're not looking at marginal gains and we're not looking at really process or policy change during hot debriefing. We're looking at immediate changes that need to be made that will ensure patient safety for the next case. Brilliant, that's really helpful. One of the other things that has happened in the past when I've been involved in debriefing is it can turn into a finger-pointing exercise, particularly if it's been very stressful. So obviously what you've just said is we should just be flagging up acute issues that are patient safety related, but what can happen is that people end up pointing fingers. Have you got any advice about how to constructively make sure that that doesn't happen? So I think a common theme of debriefing, and this is whether it's being used in educational purposes or for critical incident debriefing, is to debrief with what we would call good judgment. And this is really your main distinction between feedback after a case and debriefing. So with feedback, you might use a model like Pendleton's where you're asking, what went well, what didn't go so well, what can we do better next time? Whereas within debriefing, it is looking more objectively at what has happened. And so it's not looking at what an individual has done, it's looking at why that particular action happened, which is going to be multifaceted. And if you do that and are conscious of using a non-judgmental style, then it stops becoming finger-pointing. So it, you need to be objective, and we'll talk about narrative approaches, which are quite good for critical incident debriefing, and they lend themselves to non-judgmental debriefs. What is a narrative approach? So it's basically working through a timeline of what happened. Like we were saying before, if you're looking at your big cases, like your major traumas, your cardiac arrests, nobody can possibly have seen every single thing that happened all the way throughout, and all of that comes together to create a picture. I find it helps if you can keep the specialties there and mm. if they want to come um, and the same with the pre-hospital crew because they're always going to have a big bit of insight that we don't have to what happened. I tend to go in, introduce myself and then approach it by, okay so who was first on scene, what was the call that you got, what did you find when you got there and let them just introduce themselves and say what happened and what they did and then the next bit is okay we got the pre-alert, this is what happened next. And we work through as to who was where, who did what, who made what contribution. And so you build up a timeline of what has happened throughout the whole incident right up until the end. And I tend to find that by using a narrative approach, it gives the opportunity for other people within the group to ask questions as they go along so that they make sure that they understand every step of the patient's journey. And that's one of the big purposes of doing a hot debrief it's to stop people ruminating on the what-ifs about what happened so that they can put it straight in their mind and it it reduces the need for psychological support afterwards or for cold debriefs afterwards if you reduce rumination. So if we've managed to facilitate this situation where you have these teams that have been involved in, in this patient's care coming together to debriefing, obviously we're taking up quite a lot of people's time by doing this and obviously it's really important. What's a reasonable amount of time for a debriefing process to take um, and how would you go about facilitating it so that you have a narrative approach, people are, feel involved but equally we're not taking up too much time from you know, specialities that have other workload and need to get back to where they're clinical work is? So depending on how in-depth the case has been will probably depend on how much time you need for your debrief. It's possible to do a hot debrief and it lasts no longer than five or ten minutes and actually I think we should be able to make time for five or ten minutes regardless of the state of the department and what things are like. 
and specialties once they're invited as long as there's not something going on say for example in theatre that they need to get to straight away they're often willing to give up 10 minutes of their time if they know it's going to be of benefit to them. Similarly from a pre-hospital side we've asked our paramedics if they want to be involved and they've then contacted Control who have released them for a period of time longer than their normal dropping off patients and going especially for the big cases so the paediatric arrest, the trauma cases, that kind of thing, because they want to know what happens next. Um, that's really helpful. I suppose the only other thing to mention on that is that if you are taking a group of staff off the shop floor to have a debrief, and actually when you're thinking about where your debrief should be, it shouldn't be in the bay where everything has just happened, it should mm. be somewhere within the department still in case you're needed, but not, not in a direct clinical environment, so maybe in the coffee room, or you might have a wellness room that you can use or something like that. So you'd go there and you would make sure that the coordinators are aware where you are, who's in there, and that you're planning on being in there for five to ten minutes. But at the end of the day, if something happens in the department that is essentially going to be another critical incident and they need you, then they need you, and that's what we're there for. So how hot is the hot debrief? Should it ideally be straight after the case has come to a, a clinical completion or the patient's moved on in their care? Ideally, yeah, it should be it should be straight after because if people do need to sit and have a chat and have a brew and have a cry if it's you need right to, it, it's there and then, mm. not you know, go off, finish the rest of your shift, try and drag yourself through it and then deal with it afterwards. So I personally I try and grab everybody before they even leave the resource room if we can. Very occasionally you need to bleep specialties back because they've left halfway through or something like that, but usually we try and get people to hang around as, as close to the end as possible. If you can't do that, your other option for it still to be a hot debrief is to try to get people at their end of the shift. And sometimes if specialties have got to go elsewhere, doing it so it might not be the end of your shift, it might be the end of the specialty time shift, you can do that. And you won't get as many people coming back, but you might get some people who feel that they would benefit from it coming back. And it's still a hot debrief if it happens within the space of that shift. Once you once you pass the day, you've really missed your opportunity for a hot debrief. That doesn't prevent you from doing cold debriefs though, but the timescale for that is a little bit different. Okay. How would you, what would you advise around doing a cold debrief and when should we, it should be cold debrief for every case that we've done a hot debrief? Um, uh, when and uh, how should we do a cold debrief? So cold debriefs don't have to happen after every event that you would do a hot debrief for. Sometimes a hot debrief is enough and people feel as though they've got closure after it and that, that's great. But cold debriefs are a lot more in-depth they should happen at about two to four weeks post the incident and really unless you are very experienced in debriefing you should be getting some kind of psychological support to come to facilitate that with you it is not something that i would expect any of our trainees to attempt to manage on their own without support there are frameworks for it so we use a modified version of mitchell's uh, 1983 critical incident stress debriefing framework which is probably the most user-friendly in terms of what we need it for. So we're not going to be involved directly in the cold debriefing process, or maybe only as a um, uh, as assistant rather than needing it. But w which cases need cold debriefing? Are they? Um, is there any guidance on um, just from an interest side? Just do you need it? It's it's often the the bigger or more complex cases, the cases where the patient has the bigger or more complex cases, or the cases where you've only seen part of the patient's journey and that patient has gone on somewhere else for specialist treatment and actually it will give the team closure to know what happened later and that's quite useful for a cold debrief or it's the really 
large critical incidents. It's not the every cardiac arrest type stuff. It's the ones that are traumatic and upsetting for staff. If somebody, either yourself or one of the team, have been affected by uh, the incident or the event and you think that they may need further support down the line, how would you uh, go about doing that? We're lucky here that we have an on-site wellbeing team that consists of clinical psychologists um, and they're available either for self-referral or your line manager can refer you in and there's not a long wait to see them so they can be there to help you and talk through things. It may be that they contact the line manager and then say it might be that the whole team can benefit from something like this. Um, but they're there when they're needed. Brilliant. I think from a trainee point of view, it's probably worth adding in there that occupational health, both at the trust that you're working at, but also at the deanery, are also there to support and provide counselling sessions. We talked about this a little bit in the wellness podcast that I did with Jen, but you can self-refer to your own trust or to deanery occupational health should you need any further support or any further counselling and then of course don't forget you've got educational supervisors um, you can always turn to them to talk to them about things you won't get a full psychological debrief out of them because um, that's a, a little bit more than, than people are skilled for but they're definitely there if you need to talk. So we've managed to get everybody around uh, to do a debrief who, who should lead it? So ideally it should be the most experienced person in debriefing if you've got that person. I can't stress enough that it doesn't have to be the team leader from the event that is then going to be the person who debriefs it because sometimes it may be that they need a debrief more than anybody else, especially if something has gone wrong or it's been a poor outcome. If you're the person who's already beating yourself up and wondering what you might have done differently, you may not then be in the right frame of mind to then go in and check everyone else is all right and, and have to relive it all. And even cases that have run really smoothly and everything has gone right if that senior person has been the person making all of the decisions it is a natural thing to start thinking could I have done something differently that would have changed the outcome or even if the outcome is good you still have, we're still very self-critical so is there something that I could have done that would have made things just a little bit better and the problem is if that person leads the debrief one they take all criticism very personally but also they will steer it in a way that is looking at ways for them to improve and that brings judgment into your debrief which as we said before is something we're trying to avoid. So what I've heard is that it's actually probably better if somebody that's um, relatively impartial within uh, the situation leads the debrief. Yes definitely. Brilliant. It can be somebody who, it can be somebody who's been involved in the case they might just not have had a decision-making team leading role it can even be somebody who's not been in the case but if you have a debriefer within your organisation who is in the back room doing their admin you can go and get them and say would you come and debrief this case you don't actually have to have been there because the narrative approach gives you the story so actually as a debriefer you don't need to know the intricacies of what's happened at every stage. That's brilliant. Who, who, should, uh, who should actually attend the debrief? So it's really up to individual choice about whether you go to a debrief or whether you don't. Some people find them really beneficial, other people find them quite detrimental. And the worst thing that you can do is force people to go to a debrief. If they don't want to go, they don't have to go. You obviously want to encourage people to come and put people put people's fears at ease by explaining that it, it's not a judgmental thing that you're going to, that you are essentially just checking that everybody's okay and making sure nobody's got any questions about the case and that will increase the number of people who want to come because they know it's not 
got that assessment feel to it. The other thing I think it's really important to say is you must not have observers during a debrief. Debriefing is not the place for somebody who's been in the department, has heard about the case and fancies finding out what went on coming in. We know it causes actually quite significant psychological harm to observers to come into debriefs that they have not been involved with. So it's quite a hard and fast rule, they are not to come in. The same in many ways goes for line managers. So more relevant with cold debriefing than necessarily with hot debriefing, but if a, a manager, so whether it's a, a senior member of staff or whether it's a um, member of the managerial team wants to come in because something's happened and they want to understand why it's happened, they're actually not allowed in. This is for the well-being of the staff, that's why it exists. Root cause analysis is a different kettle of fish and it should be seen as a separate thing from debriefing. Brilliant. So I'm sold on debriefing, all of this makes sense to me, uh, but what happens if you end up as a trainee in a department that doesn't have a culture of debriefing but you want to start doing it and what advice have you got to new starting ST3s that are going to be in this newfound role um, about doing debriefing uh, in a department where perhaps the culture isn't quite so strong? I think is to just do it. So don't ask, can I do this? Just at the end of the incident, say, go to your coordinator, go to your person in charge and just say, I'm just taking the staff, we're going to be five, ten minutes, we're just going to go and debrief this case and then we'll be back. I think that's something really hard to argue with. And if you do it often enough, it will just become common practice. That's how you change culture. You just do it and then see what happens. The only caveat to that is that if another very serious case is due in and they need you there, then you need to understand that sometimes the pressures of the department mean that that debrief can still happen, it's just going to have to happen later on down the line and that's why we said you can do debriefs shift end if you can't do them immediately. But yes, I completely agree, if you go to your person in charge and you say, we've just been involved in this case, they should know about it as the person in charge anyway, we've just been involved in this case and the team and I were just going to sit down for five minutes and go through things then anybody even half reasonable is not going to argue with you about that point and they're going to recognize that people need a bit of time and often they'd be quite happy for people to go and have five minutes to have a cup of tea you're just taking your tea into your debrief with you rather than just eating tea and biscuits in the staff room on your own. If somebody is really interested in debriefing where can they go to learn more about it? So the Royal College of Motor Medicine run a debriefing course which is originally aimed at debriefing and simulation based medical education and I run it up here at the Lancashire Teaching Hospital Simulation Suite as, as one of our courses. So even though that's designed for simulation there's an awful lot of crossover and as an introduction into debriefing it works quite well. Um, at the moment courses are on hold but they are going to be starting up again from November so you just contact me and I will give you the dates for those. In addition to that, I also run bespoke debriefing courses and if anybody wants to get a group of people together, then if you drop me an email again, I can sort out bespoke debriefing courses. Sometimes that gives you a bit more flexibility over days and when it can be done. And also, if you wanted something that is just on critical instant debriefing with some practice or you wanted it for education and critical instance and cold debriefing then the purpose of a bespoke course is I'll put in whatever learning objectives people want so yeah you just essentially just email me and I will help if I can point you in the right direction if I can't.
so I think we've probably covered most of the basics there for getting people started. We should probably just do a little summary. So we've split this up into three really simple steps that are quite easy to remember and if you can't remember then if you email me I'll send you a crib sheet with them on. And it, it's essentially a beginner's guide to a hot debrief. So step one would be to establish the facts using narrative approach and allow that to um, the questions to then facilitate the understanding of the event. Step two is to acknowledge that this is a really significant event, give people the opportunity to um, process the information and check that they're all okay and if they're alright to go back out on shift. And then step three would be to identify any immediate changes to equipment or the process or the staffing that need to occur afterwards. And then just don't forget to signpost people to follow up if you need to. Thank you very much. That was really interesting. You're very welcome. Thank you for facilitating that, Gov. Good luck with ST3. Take care. Bye now. See you all on the next debriefing course.